wonderful it is to come together and um, to worship together. Just always a joy to have um, our beloved youth with us, as well as all of you and all of you who are online. And um, we thank God. It does really feel like uh, fall time, and we got a little unexpected rain and all of this. And today's lunch is Yoshinoya. You know what Yoshinoya means? It means it tastes good on a rainy day that you should have. A tr- I don't know what it means, but um, it'll be good, all right? It's, it's going to be really good. So we're looking forward to that um, and uh, just some fellowship together. And we're just grateful for everyone, grateful for um, just everyone here and all of you. Um, we're going to take a little quiz. Today we're going to be talking about the topic of greed. Greed is one of those things that all, most of us have in our blind spot. We don't really know. We see it in others, and we could notice it right away. You can go online, you say, oh, look at this person showing off. Look at this person stingy. Um, but it's often something that's in our own blind spot. We don't know we're greedy. Uh, we don't realize it until maybe someone touches us, stop being so greedy. And maybe today's one of those days, right? And so there's a test we're going to take. You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to say, oh, that's, uh, you know, I, I've failed that test. Um, all of us will have something. Tim Keller had a list of seven signs of money sickness, and these are the seven. We're going to just run through it real quick. Number one is boasting. Do you catch yourself boasting about money? You know, do you catch yourself maybe in, even in a subtle way, in a humble, bragging way? Oh, you know, all these gold bars. I just don't know. I, I don't, my closet's so small. Oh, jeez, you know, like, oh, I don't have space for my other car. It's just tough. I mean, do you catch yourself boasting about things? about purchases. Number two, do you worry about money? Do you calculate and stay up at night saying, oh my gosh, if I live to 120, I might run out. So like my retirement is not enough. How am I going to make it? Do you worry about money and will you have enough? Number three is money comfort. Is this your only sole source of comfort? You know, you get your allowance, you get your paycheck, you get some money like, oh, now, you know, I feel secure. Number four is stinginess. Do you catch yourself keeping score with your friend? I bought lunch four times. Um, I paid for gas or I did this and they didn't. Oh, and you're keeping track and you are stingy. You end up talking about it, but you don't, you're not generous in this. Number five, overspending. Do you overspend? And when you are spending, do you picture someone to impress? I can't wait to get this so I could show so-and-so like what I got. Like they will be so impressed. They will think I'm so good, so cute, so good looking. If I have this, do we catch ourselves in that moment? No one really cares, right? Uh, Someone might go like, oh my gosh, that's wonderful. Uh, But no one really cares. Number six, discontentment. Do you catch yourselves just complaining because you deserve something better? You're just complaining, right? You go to eat and there's always something wrong. You complain about your house, it's always too small, the neighborhood's too like this, your car is too slow, everything. There's complaint after complaint. You catch yourself being a complainer. And lastly, stockpiling. Saving is good, but do you catch yourselves not being able to save enough? You are almost hoarding. And you penny pinch on every single thing because somehow that is now your source of security. And I don't know how you did on this. Uh, maybe this is like, you say, oh my gosh, I actually might be all seven. And maybe if you're the person that says, well, I don't have problems with any of these, um, you probably got a problem with all of them, right? And so we have these problems. 
Today we talk about greed um, as our, what, what greedy people value, what greedy people think is important and is not important, what, greedy, what the greedy think is um, of importance and what they think is trivial, and we look at that today. Um, just a little background here, we look at this passage as we read, it's about a lawsuit amongst people in the church of Corinth. They're suing each other saying, well, you owe me this and you owe me that. No, we went into business together, and you owed me this. No, I was supposed to get this percentage, and they're going to law. They're going to, uh, uh, to see the judge, right? And they're going to go and have a lawsuit there. And that's the specifics of it. And Paul here is now writing to them on this instance. And, of course, he is telling them not to sue each other. First of all, he says, as believers, don't sue each other over property. Now, just a little uh, side note here. Uh, God does set up, it is the one that God does use the established civil government and the law uh, for criminal cases and so on. This does not mean that, hey, that Christians can never go to court for anything. But this is talking about property, money. If there's a, a criminal aspect or there is a, a criminal loss, you know, there is a, a, a victim. And a, of course, God uses the government that he set up. But this is talking about things, possessions, a little bit of money. And they're suing each other in this way. Uh, if you remember a couple of weeks ago, in the previous chapter, we looked at this whole idea that he prohibits. He says to expel or to send out the sexual immoral in the church. And they were celebrating this weird um, uh, sexual immoral, quote-unquote, couple in the church. Uh, there was sex outside of marriage, and he says, you got to send them out. And so he now prohibits it and speaks against it. And here he talks about now this lawsuit. And it almost, at first, you say these are just random cases that the people in Corinth were dealing with. And he is addressing specific things. But when we kind of peel it, peel it back a little bit and you see the core issue, it's the same thing. It's this idea of greed. So in chapter 5, it's the idea of saying, what my desire is matters more than the other person. And this person is now living in sexual sin. All they wanted was what they desired. And it was their uh, greed or their lust. And in the same way, this is happening here. They're suing each other for property. It's saying, I don't care about you. I just care about what you have. I just want what I want, which is what you have. And that was exactly what was happening in chapter 5 as well. And so here is the picture of the greedy. What would happen back in the days is in Corinth, they have what's known as the uh, Bema seat. The Bema seat, or also known as the judgment seat. And you can see, uh, uh, see it even today. You can Google pictures of it. You go to Corinth, and you could see this kind of elevated area where there would be the judge, the judgment seat. And people would come and bring their issues and their lawsuits against or their grievances to the Bema seat and the judge who was now officiating. And so they would come up, uh, well, what it was like back in the day, and the commentators all talk about this, that this was a, a place where it was like a marketplace. This was a public place. So this wasn't a secluded courthouse, but this would be kind of right in the middle somewhere. Right? This was where everyone would come back and forth, this is a public place. This is like, can you imagine it being at the spectrum, right in the middle, right in front of the movie theater, or at the source, right, right in front of that movie theater. 
And you're like, it's a spectacle. There are people are coming, and what would happen is it was a form of entertainment for the public. No internet then, right? No Instagram, no whatever. And so people, they say, well, let's go see what's going on. If you are old enough to remember, right, shows like Judge Judy, right? If you're really older, uh, let me rephrase that, sorry. If you're a little bit older, right, um, you would remember shows like the People's Court, right? I used to watch the People's Court pretty regularly because there was no internet back then, right? And so we would watch it. And the People's Court or Judge Judy, it's entertainment. People would come in and they would come in with a grievance and they would say, this person was my roommate, but they didn't pay their half, whatever it is in there. Or we bought this plant together, but I'm moving out and they took the plant and they're suing each other. And in the people's court, they would sue each other. And at the end, there was always, there was one grandfather who was now like the, the security guard. And there was the guy who would always interview the winner and the loser, Doug Luella. Do you remember his name? Anyways, I remember his name for some reason. He would, okay, how do you feel about this? And it's fascinating at the time. You want to see the reaction of the winner. Oh, he feels vindicated. And you want to see the humiliation of the loser. Oh, see, you got what you deserve. You try to rip him off and you watch the show. Now, let's take this back a couple thousand years. This is what was happening at the Bema seat. People were coming in, and it was a big entertainment spectacle. And now, can you imagine this new group, the followers of Christ, are being formed. And people are hearing about Christians on the way, living what they call the way. And now, they're suing each other. And so some are coming and saying, see, I knew they're all hypocrites. Oh, I knew. The only thing they care about is money. The only thing they care about is themselves. And now it is a spectacle, and people are talking about it. And it's in the midst of that that Paul now rebukes them and says, What are you doing? What do you think you are doing here? And we might look at that, or we might take this greed uh, quiz and say, I'm okay. It doesn't bother me any. But really, in the human nature of all of us, we look out for number one. It is the sinful nature that we have. You know, years, uh, 2010, there was a story about a, a very wealthy person named Forrest Fenn. Some of you might remember this. Forrest Fenn had put together a treasure box, and he hid it somewhere. And in it was worth about a million dollars of treasure. Precious stones and jewels and so on. A million dollars worth. And he hid it somewhere, and he made the announcement, and people all over the world, what would they do? They start looking for it. And he said, they guesstimate, something like thousands of people were in search for this treasure chest. At the end, there was a medical student named Jack Stoof who found this, and so it made the news. But until it was found, uh, thousands of people tried. Five people died looking for it. One of them was even a pastor, they said, who died looking for it. Right? Um, so you see this story here. You say, well, greed is immune. I'm immune to this. But really, all of us have to be also very careful, and we have to examine ourselves so much that we don't end up like these two people, these two parties suing each other. So today we look at this uh, description of the greedy. What, the, what is a greedy value? What do they think is important? Number one, greed, the greedy value or desire power. It's all about power. 
This story here is, yeah, it's about stuff, but also it's about power. So you look at verse 1. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Um, because if they go outside, and this, this is the background of it, right? There's someone, it's going to rain, I guess, right? Okay, so it's not my fault. Anyways, so you go outside, um, and uh, uh, you go outside the, the house of God and outside the people that they, you can manipulate. And wh- why it's about power is back in those days, and all the commentators talk about this, many of the commentators talk about this, that it was all about the richer person would always win. So if you had two parties, and one was now the employer and one was the employee, one was the rich and one was the, uh, the poor, the rich always won because they had access and they would now pay off the judge. And it became kind of an unwritten law that they understood. And so they even had it that if you are from a, a lower class, a poorer class, you were not allowed to sue someone who was richer. And uh, Spurgeon talks about how back in the day, Charles Spurgeon talks about how back in the day that uh, the bribery that would happen here and the injustice that would happen here uh, was rampant. And so this was like a scene out of a a mob movie or a a crime, you know, movie where like a godfather or whatnot where the bad guy, the rich guy, when they go to court, they already have the judge in their pockets. They've already paid him off. And so you could imagine the poor person wanting justice. They go and they realize it's all been rigged. And that's what's happening here. And so when he is now calling out the Christians, he's saying, you still care more about the power that you might have with what little extra you possess. You think it is about this power in this way. You know, when you read the, the prophets, and especially in the minor prophets, it was a... God, God would use these different prophets to speak on his behalf to bring judgment to the people of God. And he would point out different things. In Micah, for example, he now accuses them of the abuse of their power. You look at Micah chapter 2, verse 1. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work, uh, wickedness and work evil on their beds when the morning dawns. They perform it because it is in the power of their hand they are able to manipulate they are able to oppress others they're able to take advantage verse 2 they covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away they oppress a man in his house a man in his inheritance this is the picture the people with the power in their hand he says you're not acting just and this is the judgment that comes upon his people you have a little bit of power you have a little bit of ability and what do you do you covet and you take You take a man in his inheritance, you'll take a man in his house, and you are now taking advantage using your power, and that's what we were seeing here. Being greedy. If you have a little bit of power, it could now live out in this way. Number two, the second description about the greedy is the greedy ignores uh, the spiritual life. Someone who is greedy does not think about eternal life does not think about God and the spiritual life that they will have. 
The argument that Paul brings in this passage that we read is he says, hey, hey, you're suing each other. Do you not know you're going to reign? You're going to rule and judge with Christ? You're going to be even above the angels? Now, what he's saying is in the, in the eternal life to come, you're going to be now ruling. Christ is the ruler, and you're going to be with him. And he is pointing to their spiritual lives. He's telling those in Corinth, life is not just about this here and now. It's not about what you can gather here and now. It's the future, that you are spiritual beings. And he says in verse 2, or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? So he is accusing the church leaders. Shouldn't you intervene on this? You're letting this happen. Verse 3, do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertaining to this life? You are a saint. You will be with God. You will rule with God one day. You will be in the where Christ is in the judgment, the bema seat. He is the ultimate judge. You're going to be with him in this position. And you are squabbling now in this human system. He says, how embarrassing is this? We have to pause and think, evaluate soberly about what do we care about? Where does our values come from? Oftentimes we uh, value it simply on just the economics Unfairness. Do I get what I want? But it is so much more than that. You know, uh, this famous story in Luke chapter 12. There's a, a story about two brothers that come. And one of the two brothers come to Jesus in the crowd and says, Can you tell my brother to divide up the inheritance? Right? You look at verse uh, 13, Luke 12, 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Verse 14, it says, but he said to him, man, who made you a judge or arbitrator over you? Question mark. Now, when God or Christ asks a question, it is never asked out of ignorance. He is never actually asking to know, to want to know this question. This is a kind of a rhetorical answer. You ever have a person that answers your rhetorical question, right? You say, no, that's not a real question, right? Here, when he is, now listen carefully to this, when he is saying, who, have, who has made you judge, made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Am I over you? Because you're suing your brother, you're fighting your brother over your inheritance. Am I over you? Are you considering me? That's what Jesus is saying. Are you thinking about me? Are you coming to me and asking for me to be your Lord? Are you asking me, how should I live? Or are you the judge of yourself? Are you the one that's going to make the judgment on what is right and wrong on yourself? Or are you coming to me? And are you saying, will you really judge me? And this is this question that he asks. And thirdly, the greedy uh, value materialism. Right? So we forget, oftentimes in our greed, we forget uh, the spiritual, the eternal, and we focus on the material. In verse 3, in this little section here, uh, the last part, it says, uh, how much more than matters pertaining to this life? The ESV translation even adds an exclamation point to try to help us to get this. The, the tone of Paul's writing. 
Matters pertaining to this life. Matters pertaining to this life is a word that means in the original language, biotikas. It's the possessions of life. It's the things that we own. It's the things that we use. It's the material things, our cars, our homes, our clothes, our technology, all the things that we own and use. How much more than matters pertaining to this life? He's saying, is that all you are focused on? How much more should you be thinking? What is more important than the things of this life, you know? There's a story of a man who had just got his favorite luxury imported car. And he got this car, and he'd just driven it off the lot, and he pulled up in a busy street. He pulled over, and as he opened the door, a bus passes by and swipes the door, and the door flies off the car. And he is freaking out that his door of his new car is now on the street. The, there's a policeman who happened to be right across the way. He comes running over. He says, are, what, are you okay? Are you okay? And the man's first response is, of course I'm not okay. My new luxury car is ruined the door. He goes, no, 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 no. He goes, your arm has been ripped off by the car. Your arm is here. And then he looks at his arm and he says, oh my gosh, that's my new Rolex. Oh my gosh, my new Rolex is scratched up, right? It is not a true story. Um, Right, But we almost believe it. We go, oh, I know someone that might think like that. <laughs> I might have a few things I might think this way. Um, where we value the material things. I remember um, years back, there was a fire. Some of you guys remember, we would have these fires every so often. And we had a fire that had jumped over from Corona. And it jumped all the way to Yorba Linda. I live in Brea. And it was coming over the hill. And I was like, please, you know, I was wishing, please stay in your Belinda, right? Uh, not to Brea, right? Just stay in your Belinda. And they said, it's coming into Brea. And I come up to where Brea High School was, burnt down section of the high school. And I'm sure some of the high school students, yes, burned down the high school, but not the Boba place, right? Just the high school, whatever it is. Um, so I remember it's coming close. I was standing outside my house with my little water hose ready to go. It was like my moment, and I was watering the roof of my house. My neighbor comes out, Greg comes out, and he goes, he was a retired gentleman. He goes, Steve, what are you doing, Steve? I said, I'm ready, man. You know, make sure my house doesn't burn. He goes, that's not going to work. I'm okay, I'm watering my house. And then I see his wife come out, and she says something to him. And a minute later, he's outside. He's watering the roof of his. <laughs> we're both watering the roof of our house. And then next thing, uh, Sharon comes out and says, we got to go. Like, there's an evacuation. We got to go. And so I run in the house, and I said, we got to pack. I've never packed for an evacuation. What do I pack? And she goes, get, get our wedding albums. And I was like, no one looks. I, when's the last time you looked at this wedding album? This is one of my big regrets. Why do we pay so much money for this wedding album? I don't look at it. You don't look at it. We gave pictures to our parents. They don't even look at it. Like, who's going to look at it? Get the wedding album. And, and he's like, go get the laptop. Like, this one, it doesn't even work. Just get it. And we took that. And I confess, I had my golf clubs. I put my golf clubs first. I mean, that was already in there. It was my kids, golf clubs, and then whatever Sharon said to put in. And somehow we kind of escaped, um, and nothing happened, right? 
other than the high school being burned, a section of it, because some, you know, high school Christians were praying, just the high school, God, just burn the high, not my house, right? But all kidding aside, you know, we have moments where we think, what is important? What, what matters here? What am I supposed to pack? What is important? And we have to have a, a sobering moment of saying, this, actually, I don't need any of this stuff. But the greedy focus is on this. Uh, most uh, uh, adults, young adults, they talk about a bucket list. Before I kick the bucket, I got to get, I want these things done, right? How many of you have a bucket list? You don't have to raise your hand, but you, you have a bucket list. Some of, they say by age, and this is some of the surveys that were done. They say by age 47, either you get them done by then or it's probably not going to happen, right? They say the average person wants to get it done by 47. Some of you are like, oh my gosh, I'm over 47, right? Then just get rid of the bucket list, right? But on it, you have things, you have good things. Um, you want to help people, you want to spend time, you want to travel with your family. These are all good things. You want to help uh, people who are less fortunate. On it, some of it, we have selfish things. I want to get this car. I want to get this kind of house. Or I want to I have these things. And we have maybe a thing of material things that we want. The number three, the top three things that people uh, want or have on their bucket list is ranked this way. Number one, a lot of people say they want to skydive. Right? I don't know if you're a skydiver. Um, I would never do that, right? But um, they jump with some stranger attached right to your neck, and you're going to jump, and some people will say that. Number two is to win the lotto. Let me give you, tell you something. You are never going to win the lotto, okay? <laughs> you will never, just, the, next time you're at 7-Eleven thinking, ah, $1 billion, uh, you're never going to win it. Uh, it it's never, uh, never going to be you, so don't do it. And then after that, which is kind of sad, is have kids, right? So it's like, if I win the lotto, maybe I'll have kids. I don't know if that's how it goes, but that's the list that's here. I want to encourage you. If you have this big bucket list, a big bucket full of things that you think is going to make life so great, I want to burst your bubble. You will go do it. You will go visit. You will go do this. You will go buy that. And the moment after, you'll say, eh, whatever. Because we were not created by a material God who has made us uh, to be materialistic. We are called um, to value God, to value people. And this leads to our fourth point, the greedy undervalue people. The greedy puts things over people. And so if our eyes and our hearts go towards the things, it's hard to go after people. It's hard to value them. And before you know it, in the economy of all things, all of a sudden, we care more about the money than people. We care more about the things than, and the money than even God himself. Now you can see it exactly on how we spend our time, how we spend our money. It says here in verse 7, to have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? So, you go to uh, in front of the Bema seat, and as always, there will always be a quote-unquote a winner and a loser. But Paul is using that thought of the winner and the loser. He says, why not? It's already a lose-lose situation. You go as a Christian and you say, oh, I got something I wanted or I deserved from that person. I got it. I'm the winner. 
He goes, well, there is no real winner. It's actually a lose-lose. You are both defeated in this. And it is this greed that help, makes us undervalue people. And we think of them as, what can they give to me? What can they offer to me? What can I gain from them? Have you ever caught yourself treating someone who is maybe well off a little different than someone who might not have anything? Have you ever been nervous simply because you heard someone is a multi-multi-this? And you catch yourself laughing at their unfunny jokes or treating them a little bit nicer? Oh, we have to be so very careful that we do not put things, materialistic things over people. And that's what was happening here. Uh, you know, in May 7, 2019, um, there was an aeroplane, uh, aeroplane from Aeroflot, uh, the Russian airline, that had crashed. Um, and it killed 41 people of the passengers. And, um, but it wasn't a crash that uh, was instant where they crashed it. They, they had a crash landing and people were evacuating. It was fire and they had to get off. And if they got, the quicker they could get off, the more people would live. But what happened was, and USA Today has an article reporting this, that 41 people um, died as they were trying to exit the plane. But what happened was, people in the front as they were getting out, they kept going back to grab their bags. And so all the people in the back saying, I can't get out, hurry up and get out, there's a fire. Wait, wait, wait. And they were grabbing their bags. And the, the FA statement said, we will never know if more lives could have been saved if the bags were left behind. But they say, I've got to get my bags. The people are back there. I've got to get my bags. It's got my stuff. It's got the things that I want. And more people died in this way. Uh, commentators talk about the irony in this passage. You go to win, but really it's a lose-lose when you go and you fight over these things. And so he says in verse 8, you yourselves, the you in the original language is emphatic, you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. He says, now, why would you do that? I want to ask all of us to have in the church, not a me mindset, but a we, us mindset. He calls us brothers here. He calls us family. It's an us mindset. We have to get in the habit of coming to church, not as individuals, not of, as individuals coming to God with our own interpretations. I did my own study, and I come in for a little bit. It's us. God is speaking to us. God is moving us. In the Old Testament, it was always the people of God being moved. And in, in the us, in the economy of us, there is no longer a winner or a loser. Either it's a win-win or it's a lose-lose. This mindset we see in the first church in Acts chapter 2, where they would be, it's, it's reported as they sold their stuff and they shared it with those in need. People who were ostracized, people who lost everything would come into the church and they would now share and give. They're not keeping track. They're not saying, well, I, I worked hard for this and why are you taking this? They shared it. It was a us mindset, and I want us to have that mindset as well. In Luke 19, when Zacchaeus comes to faith and Jesus calls him down from the tree, 
And the first thing Zacchaeus does is, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He, he, he values now the people over the things. Jesus comes to, into his life, and all of a sudden, everything is flipped upside down. Here was a guy who lived for money, dreamt money, and he valued himself by how much money he would make, and all of a sudden, people became more important. The, the, the low in society became important, and he says, I'll give to the poor. I'm not just donating to the rich causes. I'm going to give to the poor in this way. And I'm going to ask us, as a people who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be radically generous. You know, as this, we come into this fall time, as we come and uh, school is back and all of these things, I'm going to ask you to take a step of, of faith and continue in your generosity. One tangible way is how you give to the church. We give not as little as possible, but we want to give as much as possible. You know, and today, and I just want to share these thoughts before we close. In 2014, they said that there were four, there was 4,000 new churches that opened in 2014. And at that time, uh, 3,700 churches had closed. And so it was still, there was more churches are opening than there are those closing. 2019, right before COVID, things started to shift culturally. 3,000 churches, new churches opened. 4,500 closed. They got aged out. They, whatever reason it was, people stopped going and they didn't care. And so now you see, it's a, a losing battle. And this is before COVID. And many people think, man, after COVID, uh, many churches aren't going to be able to survive. People are too busy. People's lives have changed. Their spending has changed. Their time, the way they spend their time has changed. And so we're in that battle. And the big picture, you being here is that important. You giving is that important. And so, God willing, we're going to find a permanent space somewhere. And I look forward to that, a place we can go in and have all the gatherings we can gather. Uh, We can bring people in where children, as we continue this good work, and last night we're at the Angels game with some of our Crosswalk families, and I was looking at them, and there was some even... Uh, youth age folks that came with their siblings and family. And I thought, what a joy that is. That we were able to see that they were have to able to have Crossway as their church, a place where there are people who love them, a place where they're not perfect, but there are grown-ups and aunts and uncles and there are big brothers and little sisters and big sisters. And boy, they're growing up in this faith. What a work of God this is. Something greater than what we can do. And something only God can do. And so let's reevaluate. Let's think twice before we say, oh, what about me? And the two things most people don't want to hear about at church is about my money and about who I sleep with. It's just about me, isn't it? And yet that's exactly what Paul talks about here. And he says, that's what God wants. He wants you to want him and let him be so valuable that he is everything and my Lord and Savior, that the buy-in to follow him is so great that I would deny myself, take up my cross and follow him, that giving my stuff away is no big deal because I have the pearl of great price. 
the treasure in the field, Jesus Christ, and he is all I need. And so can I challenge us with this? Can I encourage you to be faithful in this? Don't live a life when it's all about me. Living in fear about me, my stinginess, my little bit. But offer that to God and see what great things he can do. Let's pray together, could we? We thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. And God, would you remove, Lord God, any self-centered, greedy desires in us. God, we struggle with that. We are in the flesh. We see things, want things. And Lord, Satan often whispers into our ears that uh, life is better if you had those things, that you are more valuable if you wore those things, if you uh, possess these things. And yet, Lord God, our value comes from you, Jesus Christ. We will sit with you. And Lord God, so we look forward to that. We have all that we need in you. So God, would you help us in that? So all that you bless us with, God, is yours. All that we possess, it is yours. All that's in our hands, God, we put it back into your hands. We thank you, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name.